the ancient creeds said he's the Lord and giver of life. And we believe that his presence is real. And for those of us who have opened our hearts to Jesus, the scripture tells us the spirit is in us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do whatever you need to do to move our hearts to hear and to see what you want us to hear and see and then help us grow. We want to change. Um, we're not here simply to get knowledge. We're here to grow in character to become more like Jesus. So would you do that as we look in your word this morning? We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I'm going I'm to actually start with an application from the sermon, believe it or not, but I, 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 I'm going to mention this for a number of weeks. Two things I want to encourage you to do, if, if you don't already have a habit of doing something like this. One, we're starting the Gospel of Matthew today. I'm going to encourage you to read a chapter a day in the Gospel of Matthew, if you don't have a normal habit. Um, and read according, like, you don't have to do it this way, but today's the ninth. And just so happens, I'm preaching, I'm starting in the middle of the book in chapter 9. But read, there's 27 chapters in Matthew, so maybe for the next couple of months, just pick whatever day it is and read that chapter. If you don't have a habit already, but I'm just going to encourage you, uh, you'll have a couple of free days in the end of July, you'll have one free day at the end of February because there's 27 chapters. And I put up here a version. U version. how many people have version on their phones? So it's a Bible on your phone, it's really, um, you know, if you don't want to carry this around, which I'm not embarrassed to carry it around, but I don't carry it around. I can read the Bible on my phone, so it's just called version. You download it. It's really easy. You can read in, I don't know, probably 45 different versions, probably 100 different languages if you want to read another language. But just encourage you to get in the habit, and if you don't have a habit, um, start this month. Start now on the 9th, three in a chapter a day. Start with the number of the, the, number of the day. So second habit is this is just... <clears throat> so. I've been thinking the last couple of weeks, there were a couple of people I was thought, I should invite them to church. They're, they're kind of semi-average, semi at best, churchgoers. And I kept thinking, okay, God, I, I, and, and I think that because, not because of church, but because I, I, I think, I think they, have issues, they, they have need for Jesus, just like I have need for Jesus. So I thought, well, I, I really don't, it's not so much I want them to come to church, I want them to I want them to follow Jesus. I think their lives would be better. I, 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 so we're talking, this whole Matthew follows Jesus, right? That's what we're going to look at today in the, in the gospel of Matthew, where he first follows Jesus. And just follow me on this. I was thinking about the passage where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws me. So somehow God drew Matthew to Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you to pick two people over the next month. That you're going to pray, whenever you think about it, that the Father would draw them to Jesus. All right? Not, not coming to church. I mean, I, I'd love people to come to church, but ultimately I thought these two people I'm thinking of, I'm going to start praying, God, would you just draw them to Jesus? However you need to do that. Because people don't come to Jesus because you or I can convince them they come to Jesus, Jesus said, because the Father draws them. So two, just two challenges. One is read a chapter a day in the Gospel of Matthew if you aren't already in a habit of reading. And then the second challenge, which involves two things. And maybe even now you can think of two people you know in your life right now that you're like, I, I, can't, I can't. You might even think I can't imagine them following Jesus, but I'm going to start asking the Father to draw them to Jesus. So I have two people in mind. One of them I've hardly even talked before, but I know them and I've have connection with them. The other one is somebody I just talked to the other day at Kroger, and we talked for 10 minutes in the Kroger aisle, and I thought, 
I think he has, I mean, I, and I'm not saying this condescending way. I think he needs Jesus. And I'm going to start praying that the Father will draw him and be open to conversations that I might be drawn into as well with him, but I'm not going to force anything. So just think of two people that you're going to pray. Not that they would come to church, not that they would become a Christian, so to speak, but they would be drawn to follow Jesus all right, by the Father. The Father would draw them. So that's one of the opening applications, all right? And I'm going to mention this every week for a number of weeks, just to encourage you to, just a new habit. It's not so much because it's a new year, but just a new habit to read the Bible regularly and at least for two people, pray that God would draw them to himself, to Jesus, all right? Now, um, this last week, go to the next slide. I was in Minnesota with Gretchen. I drove back with her. She has a long drive to Minnesota, and then I flew back. And I went to Trader Joe's. Everybody's familiar with Trader Joe's, kind of like, it's like a Blooming Foods, only better, sorry. Um, but they're all over the place. And she goes to Trader Joe's, and I, I, I've been, I go to Trader Joe's whenever I'm in Chicago area with my daughter or my Minnesota with my daughter, so not very often. So whenever I'm there, I'm kind of like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look, oh, look, they have this, they have this, they have this. They have all these unique things. So we're in the checkout line, and Gretchen is getting stuff, and I'm looking at stuff in the checkout line. They have these unique chocolate candy bars, and I'm just, I must have looked like a kid in a candy shop because the cashier looked at me and said, first time here? I'm just like, um, no but kind of, but I must have had this curious look on my face. And I was kind of enamored with all the things that Prater Joe's has. So here's, here's, uh, here's my challenge for you as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, and I thought about this for myself. I want to challenge you to have a first-time-here curiosity as we look at the Gospel of Matthew. I'm guessing some of you have maybe read Matthew or read things in the Bible, and we kind of read it so often it becomes like blah, blah, blah. It's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. But I'm going to ask you to have the curiosity of a first-time-here kind of shopper at Trader Joe's where everything looks like, oh, that's, I mean, the things at Trader Joe's are unique, but when you're there, you, they, they feel like ten times more unique because it's Trader Joe's, right? But I want to ask you to, even if you read the Bible on a regular basis, whether you read it in Matthew or whatever, just... Ask God to give you fresh eyes. Kind of first time, I'm curious, I'm trying to understand this, I want to see things I haven't seen before. So, um, like I said, we're, I'm starting in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I've actually never taught through Matthew before. And uh, the reason I'm, uh, with anything, I, I'm, I'm, I want us all to be enamored with Jesus. That sounds like odd to say that, but... Um, because we're, we're first and foremost, we're not Christians. First and foremost, we're followers of Jesus. And in America, those two things don't always mean the same thing. I think you know what I mean, all right? I was talking this week to Derek House, pastor at Lighthouse. <clears throat> he was telling me, he was kind of incredulous about this. Somebody asked him if they could have a Martin Luther King Day service at their church as one of the predominantly black churches in town. And then the person said to Derek, and Derek was recounting this to me on the phone, he said, and Derek, it's okay if you mention Jesus, just don't talk about him very much. Because we're inviting other world religion leaders there too. And Derek said, he told the guy, well, I'm sorry, but I, no. Because we're all about Jesus. What, what do you mean? I can mention his name, but can't talk about him? So 
we trust Jesus. Jesus is the center of what we do. We're followers of Jesus first and foremost. We're not doers of good works. We're not religiously good people. We are followers of Jesus, period. And that, sets, that should set any Christian apart, all right? So I'm going to start with Matthew, and I'll, we'll kinda, we're going to jump in the middle of the book, and then next we'll go back to the beginning. We actually will re-hit the Christmas story sometime late this month. But I want to start when, the very, when, when Matthew is called to follow Jesus. Because, again, we're followers of Jesus. He's calling the disciples to follow him. And Matthew is kind of a unique case, and we'll talk about that in a second. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 9. This happens to be today's the 9th. It, didn't, it, just, it was totally random, that Matthew 9. So go to this next chapter, uh, next slide. So let me just explain what was going so far. So some things, Jesus, you know, the Christmas story happened. And Jesus had already called some other disciples, four fishermen. Um, said, you know, Peter, James, John, and I forget the next. But he called them to follow him. And at this point, Jesus was living and doing his ministry in a region called Galilee, which was the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, which is really like a big lake. And so a lot of fishermen. So he was in that, he was called, was called the Galilee region. All right. He's called these disciples. They're following him. And of course, we know he ends up with 12 disciples, but this is the calling of Matthew. And let me just explain why this is kind of a big deal. All right. So this is chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, and he's walking along the Sea of Galilee area, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, if you don't know, if you don't know the context culturally, this could be like a hallmark passage. Hey, follow me, follow him. But the key, the key marker here is we saw Matthew sitting at a tax collector booth. That adds like fire to this passage. All right, let me explain why. All right, 60 years prior to the birth of Jesus, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and took over, kind of like Nazi Germany taking over Europe. So 60 years prior to Jesus, General Pompey besieged Jerusalem. Uh, in the coming decades, thousands of Jews were imprisoned, tortured, and crucified even before Jesus was born. And, of course, when the Romans occupied, they also wanted m money. So taxation was a big deal and was taxation to a foreign power they didn't even want there. So in order to do that, they had, like, these tax stations. And often the tax stations were manned by Jews. Matthew was one of them. So you can see already that here Matthew's working for a foreign power. So already some, there's some tension you can see broiling here. There were two different kind of tax collectors. There were the Gabai and there were the Makesh. Those words are just the Hebrew words. They don't mean anything other than their titles. And the Gabai were the ones who collected like uh, property tax and poll tax. So you had to pay tax if you had any son over 12 or daughter over 14. You paid per person of some kind of tax. And those were set and you paid them, you probably paid them grudgingly. But the Makesh, a different level of tax collector, they were in charge of taxing like imports, exports. They taxed your wagon axles, your wagon wheels, your, park, your pack animals, your pedestrians road. So it was kind of like the toll booths. They used to have the toll booths when you go to Chicago or anywhere. They were there collecting. If you went by 
they would stop you and they could tax like anything you had. They tax you by wheel, by axle, if you had stuff in the trunk of your car or whatever. Um, they were often located, as Matthew likely was, by the Sea of Galilee. So when people came in with things in the boats, he would tax them. And they would tax them and they would even make up new taxes. Because these makesh, these tax collectors, had the authority to not only collect the taxes and get it to Rome, but they, they often charge exorbitant rates. They could, they could stop you, and if you had a donkey they liked, they would give you a lesser donkey and say, that's a tax, I'll take your donkey. And it was just, they were, uh, they could pack tax personal mail. So if you're going by in the road, they could stop you and just see whatever you had. So not only the hassle of paying the taxes, you had to stop and unpack everything, show them what you had, and they'd say, there's a tax on that, tax on that, tax on that, and you had to pay. You had to pay. These are Jews working for Rome, cheating their fellow Jews, all right? They were, uh, they were hated people. They were unjust, they were cruel, they were corrupt, they were oppressive, they were deceptive, they were greedy, and they were fraudulent, they were harsh, and they were detested by the Jews. They were outcasts in their own families. They weren't allowed to even go in the temple. They weren't allowed spiritually to go in the temple uh, they were considered worse than a Gentile, so they were considered worse than like a dog. Um, probably spat on a lot when they walked through the marketplace. Um, fishermen were low on the social ladder, but they weren't religious outcasts. Tax collectors were lower, and they were despised. They wouldn't, use, they wouldn't hesitate to use force to collect the taxes. And it was even considered righteous to lie to a tax collector. Like, it's a, it's a righteous thing if you lied. So they had that low of a standing. They were despised. They were hated. So now think about their, them spiritually. They knew they were supposed to keep distance from people. There's a story that Jesus tells about a Pharisee in the temple who was praying and a tax collector who was praying. And the Pharisee saying, I'm glad I, I'm not a sinner like that guy. And the text says, and the tax collector who was standing far off, because he wasn't allowed to be too close, and the tax collector said he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this is the one who's justified before God, not that guy. So, and there's other stories Jesus tells about tax collectors, and he understands they were like, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be today. I guess you could say maybe a, a, a drug dealer. I don't know. They're, 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 you couldn't get, you can't, couldn't get any lower than a tax collector. All right. Um, it was actually said that forgiveness is very difficult for them. The Pharisees would say that. It's very difficult for a tax collector to have any kind of connection to God. And forgiveness is almost impossible. They weren't allowed to testify in court because they weren't trusted. So they were shut out of society. Um, often disenfranchised by their families, all right? So now when you read the passage, Jesus was walking along and saw a man named Matthew, a despised, perception-wise, reputation-wise, despised, corrupt, deceptive, fraudulent, harsh. We hate it because you work for them. And then Matthew, Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. Now, we can assume 
because Matthew's, the tax collector booth in the context here is near the Sea of Galilee, he, it's a small area, the town, he knew who Jesus was, and he likely could have even been listening to some of Jesus' sermons, because a lot of times Jesus would preach out in a boat toward the shore, because it was a natural amphitheater. So it's possible that Matthew had heard Jesus before. He'd heard his teaching. It's very likely he at least knew of the miracles of Jesus. He knew of some of the things Jesus said. It's also very likely that he actually taxed some of the very fishermen that Jesus had called to be disciples. Peter, James, John. So you're Peter, James, and John. You're these fishermen who are now following Jesus, who have despised the way that tax collectors abuse their authority to serve a foreign power to steal money from you. And then Jesus turns to Matthew, hey, why don't you join our group? I mean, that's shocking. We have no record of how Peter, James, and John, or the others would have responded. I'm guessing it wasn't like, yeah, come on, man. I mean, I'm guessing it was a little bit like, what, what are you doing, Jesus? Who, do you know who he is? So it's shocking right away that Jesus even invited Matthew. And, and furthermore, he, he's the one that records the whole book of Matthew. So this person who wasn't even allowed to testify in court because he was seen to be an untrustworthy. The Gospel of Matthew was probably written 30 years after the death of Jesus, so Matthew was no longer a tax collector. But still, it's ironic that God would have a perceived, fraudulent, deceptive, dishonest person 30 years later record the events of Jesus. I mean, it's shocking. Like, God does some really shocking things, doesn't he? So, Matthew got up and followed him. Now, granted, like I said, Matthew, I'm sure it wasn't like he's never seen Jesus before and all of a sudden this magical spells over him. He knew about Jesus. And he had a hunger for something that he knew Jesus was offering. And again, like I said at the beginning, Jesus himself said in John, nobody's drawn to Jesus except the Father draws him. So God had been doing some kind of work in Matthew. All right? Next passage, next part of the passage. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So now it's not only Matthew of the despised group, he invites his tax collector buddies, who they all hate. But there was something about those people, they were drawn to Jesus. When they were around, when those, when the tax collectors were around the Pharisees, they felt and experienced revulsion, and they were repelled by them. That's like, because the Pharisees just reeked of judgment toward them. But yet, for some reason, they're, they're compelled to be around Jesus. And other disreputable sinners, we don't know, but there's most likely from other passages of Scripture that have included some prostitutes. So this is a dinner party that good religious people don't go to. I've often thought it would be interesting to see what that was like. But Matthew, because he probably had money, has this big party. All these other tax collectors despised lowlifes, according to their culture, and other sinners, prostitutes and probably thieves and robbers who, you know, they tend to all gather together because they want to be in some kind of a group. And the Pharisees don't like it. 
But they don't talk to Jesus. They ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, the word in the original Greek um, just is kind of like disreputable sinners, but I think scum's a good translation in our current vernacular. And they're asking disciples, why, why does he eat with such scum? I mean, you can, you can feel the condescension judgment dripping off their mouth when they say that. Of course, the disciples don't answer. And, and it's interesting, whenever a tax collector is mentioned in the Gospels, usually because Jesus is talking about it, the Pharisees complain. So it's this sense of the Pharisees, they were religious. Uh, they did all the right things. And I'm saying this because even when you look at our lives today, there's times we can fall into a religious trap. I'm going to be religious. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, say what I'm supposed to say. And there's times when we can look at other people with judgmentalism because they, they're not doing it. They're not doing and saying the right things and they're living dirty lives. So the Pharisees constantly looked for the tax collectors and saw their flaws and their brokenness. Jesus constantly looked at the tax collectors and saw their need. Huge different lens. Pharisees, flaws. I mean, think, I'm just not, now I'm going to get in all of our own, how do they say, I'm going to get in all of our grills, all right? Are there people that you kind of look at with a little bit of a, you roll your eyes, you're like, wow, they got to get their life together. And all you see is their flaws? I mean, the, the two people I'm thinking about inviting, one of them, I, I, every time I'm around him, I kind of think of his flaws. And I thought, well, Jesus seemed to see tax collectors and sinners and saw their need. So God, give us the eyes to see the needs of those people that we naturally want to condescend to and roll our eyes at. Because that was the heart of Jesus. He saw the need of people that were broken and torn. Whereas it's really easy, humanly speaking, just to see... <coughs> Their life disgusts me. And you know, roll their eyes, roll your eyes at them. And um, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And again, keep in mind, this is it's a big deal. So this, is, this is probably the beginning of the, I'm doing this like I'm beating a drum, like the tension, the tense music of the rest of the gospel where Jesus is started this collision course with the Pharisees that ends up at the cross. Because he's messing up religion, right? So now go to, the, go to the next part. When Jesus heard this, so again, they didn't say it to Jesus, they said it to his disciples. They probably didn't have enough courage to say it to Jesus because they knew he was really good at tying their words back on them and making them look as foolish as they were. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he's actually quoting from the prophet Hosea here. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, yeah, you're doing, I mean, the Pharisees were good at a tenth of their money, a tenth of their spices, a tenth of their, they, they had religious behavior down to a T. And as one of my favorite phrases is, they were really good at image management, which I can be too and maybe you too. We can manage our image well so we look religious. But Jesus was saying, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for mercy. I'm, I, I, wanna sh I, wanna sh I want you to show mercy to people. 
I want you to see their need, not their flaws. Oh, look at that. Look what I do religiously. They don't do that. So how, how do we become people? Because God is even saying, God wants us to show mercy more than he wants us to be um, clean Christian image people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be, have good character, but if we're concerned about how we look to people, um, God says, no, I, I, want, I want to see if you show mercy to people. Are you merciful toward people? Do you see their need? For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So again, when you, when you think about this passage, it's like when Jesus called Matthew, it was a... It was a it was tumultuous. It was scandalous. But this is, the Je- this is Jesus. This is our Jesus. I mean, he, he calls people like that. The disciples were a bunch of blue-collar goofballs. Goofballs is a, it's a Greek word. Not really. They were, they were goofy. Just like you and I are. And then he entrusted Matthew... With writing, with his written account of his life. So, it's, I think my, if you were here last week, my, actually my older brother speak, and he said, you know, the, one of the things that gives the Bible credibility is, it's not whitewashed. I mean, if I were going to whitewash the Bible, I wouldn't have a tax collector, a reformed tax collector, write one of the Gospels. I'd make sure he was an educated scribe. A little more respectability, right? Jesus is not concerned about respectability. He's concerned about the posture of our hearts toward him. So, my, uh, my sermon title, which I'll, or the series title, which I'm saving for the end instead of the beginning, is simply this. Follow Jesus because there's nobody like him. I mean, the whole gospel of Matthew could be summarized in this passage of, in chapter 9. Follow Jesus. I mean, Matthew must have left the tax collector booth and received from how we, what he recorded in the rest of Matthew because there's, there's nobody like this guy. I mean, the rest of Matthew, it talks about how Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies and all the things he did and he, healings and his teaching and his forgiveness toward people, let alone his resurrection. <laughs> Matthew's conclusion, as should ours be, there's nobody like this guy. There's nobody like him. I mean, you have to follow, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying follow Jesus like you might follow somebody on Facebook or Instagram. That's not following. That's just kind of being an observer of what they do. But in the sense that Jesus, if, when he called people to follow him and then be their disciple, the word disciple literally has the meaning a learner. Follow me and learn from me and watch how I do life. And if you watch how I do life, and you invite my spirit into you so you do life the way I do life, you will have a whole different level of life. Not a religious life. The Pharisees had followers, they had disciples, but it was kind of marked by stuffiness and solemnity. Jesus and his disciples, following him was marked by joy and feasting. They even asked him later, why, why aren't you guys fasting? You should be fa- you're feasting. And so Jesus said, no, no, following me is joy and feasting. It's not this solemnity and let's be serious about religion because uh, and I've told you this before but you'll probably hear this to the point where you might get tired of me saying it I, I, I don't know that I I don't know that I want to tell people anymore I'm a Christian 
because I don't know what that means anymore in America. I think I want to tell them I'm a follower of Jesus, which means I'm a Christian in the context of you and I understand that to mean. But for somebody to simply say I'm a Christian in America, that just means I'm not Muslim or I'm not Hindu or I'm not atheist. It, they may not follow Jesus at all. So when you think of the things Jesus says about, and we'll look at some of the things in Matthew about forgiveness and how you handle your character and your, how you handle your money, how do you handle your sex life, how do you handle... We follow him because there's nobody like him. We don't follow him simply because it's the best option available, although it is, but there's not even any other option close. Who else would you follow that's going to teach you how to do life well? One of my, one of my mentors said this, and I thought it was really good. He said, uh, a word we often don't associate with Jesus, but he said, I think it's the best word to describe him. He was brilliant. Jesus was brilliant. Because brilliant people understand things that others don't understand. And when it came to life, I mean, who knows if Jesus was good at algebra or, you know, geometry or could split infinitives or whatever. But in terms of living life, he was brilliant. So why wouldn't you follow somebody who's brilliant? So again, I don't, I don't know where your following Jesus struggles are. I know mine. I know the ways where I feel like I, I want to be more this way, Jesus, but I'm not there. So I want to follow you. You've got to help me. But if, if, if Matthew's welcome to follow Jesus with all his flaws and deception and all that, and he's a changed person, then surely all of us are welcome at the same table, right? I mean, you couldn't get much lower. So, so it seems like even from this calling, Jesus is telling everybody, anybody is welcome to follow Jesus. You don't have to have a certain pedigree. You don't have to have a certain education. You don't have to look a certain way or talk a certain way. Anybody's welcome to follow Jesus as long as, like Matthew did, they're willing to leave behind the tax collector booth and follow. The other disciples left behind their fishing boats and they followed. So you can't follow and still live in your old lifestyle. You've got to be willing to let go of what you used to be in the trust and the, and the belief that Jesus will make you somebody that you've never thought you could be. Full of mercy, full of forgiveness, full of patience, full of kindness. Um, full of joy, full of generosity. That's what they knew Jesus was calling them to be. So, my next slide, which is just my general takeaway from this sermon is, follow Jesus. And it sounds simplistic to say it that way, but it's, you know, and I know, there's hard parts to following Jesus. He invited people to suffer with him, he invited people to like this ridiculous generosity and irrational forgiveness. So I don't know if forgiveness is an issue for you. I don't know if generosity is an issue for you. But when you follow Jesus, you become all those things in ways that you know humanly you can't be. So uh, we finish with communion every time, every Sunday at uh, Exodus. And, um, you know, this was been you know, three years or so after the calling of Matthew, and now Jesus is sitting around a table with them. Matthew had been around Jesus for three years, as had the other disciples. And Jesus is, now he's saying and saying things they don't fully understand. Of course, they do later. He says, when I, when I give you this bread, it's my body. It's broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. 
because this was all this was all flashbacks to the to the exodus of out of uh, Egypt, where it was all about the, the redemption and the salvation of the freedom of God's people. And every time you drink this, drink this cup. Every time you drink this, you're drinking the cup of forgiveness, and you're you're eating and drinking, and you're proclaiming to everybody else there is forgiveness for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So they they took this and they ate this. And of course, as the years went by post the resurrection, they, they started understanding, I get this. Because every time I do this, it's a step of following Jesus. It's this, I'm putting a, a wafer and Welsh's grape juice into my body, but that's the physical act. But the symbolic spiritual act is I'm inviting more of Jesus in me because I want to follow this guy. I want to be like him. All right. So Aaron's going to come on up. He's going to lead us in another song. And then we'll do communion. But uh, I think when you um, uh, when you take this this today, when you you know we we dip the wafer, or we take if you want to take one of these, maybe just in your own hearing of your own mind, just simply say to Jesus, I, "I will follow you. I'll follow you." I mean, it's a pretty big commitment. I'll follow you. Period. No no conditions, no preconditions. I'm going to follow you because there's nobody like you. And there never will be, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll uh, take, and then we'll sing. So Jesus, you, uh, the Bible tells us that you opened up a new and living way for women and men and girls and boys to know God. And you did this through your death and your resurrection. So yeah, in, the, in your life and your teaching and your healing, there's nobody like you and how you treated the untouchables. But in your death and resurrection, there's absolutely nobody like you. There's no, you stand so above anybody else in history um, that it doesn't even invite any kind of comparison. So, Jesus, we trust you. Uh, we follow you. And uh, we take this cup and this juice into our bodies as not only as gratitude, but as a solidifying commitment that we're going to follow you. We're going to do what you ask us to do because we want to be like you. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.